there was something deep inside me that said that just broke it's like okay i must have had a need in there that i didn't really know i had and i was i was choked up man i mean i couldn't i couldn't hardly talk and i i remember calling rita my wife and said you won't believe the call i just got and i just start crying i can't really tell her and uh she's so i went home and we talked about it some and uh, and i couldn't i couldn't bring myself to call dina yet so my wife called her and uh and of course my wife knew the, the as much of the story as we knew and so she called dean and talked she talked to her for about two hours and she got done with the phone call she said zane it's real Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And this is the Crucial Conversation Podcast. Brian, I'm super excited about our guest today. I'm, I'm thrilled, Brother Isaacson, to have you on the podcast. Uh, man, I, I was really looking forward to this. I'm glad you took the time to meet with us today. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm glad you guys all called and, uh, you know, we want to do everything we can do. And, you know, there's, there's things that need to be talked about and addressed and... Uh, this is a great place for us. Awesome. Appreciate it. Arkansas District Camp just got over. Yes. Were you there the whole week? I was. Okay, tell us a little about a little bit about what happened to camp this week. Oh boy, I got smashed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the sword of the spirit cut pretty deep this week. And I, I think I'm the kind of person that I like to, to look inward. You know, I, I, obviously things come up that you think, okay, I want that to happen in my church or I want that to happen in my city. And usually the first thing I do is say, okay, how can I be better? You know, right. what, what, what can I do? And uh, I'll tell you, probably my favorite part of, uh, of the camp meeting was the breakfast with, uh, with the, the speakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first morning we met with Court Chavis um, and, and just kind of talked, just kind of an open forum type deal. And then uh, the second morning was with uh, Terry Shock. And probably that session at breakfast was my favorite of the week. And I, I just couldn't take notes fast enough. Just just hearing, you know, the heartbeat of these pastors and, and what they're seeing as they travel and, and their, their heart for the kingdom and their heart for pastors and leaders um, that, are, that are going through things, that are, you know, that are struggling, um, and then the, the things that they see that need to be addressed that are not being addressed. You know, for example, Terry Schock talked about his passion is to, is to minister to heads of households and it's something we don't we don't necessarily um, address specifically. You know, we, we hit it in preaching. We talk about God's order and you know Deuteronomy six and and training your children up the way you should go. You know, but it's not it's not something that's we follow up on or that necessarily is done the the way that it should be. And I remember him saying in a in a in a session might might have been Friday during his session he talked about uh, connecting a uh, church connection what church should be when we come to the building when we come together as the body of Christ but I, I liked what he said he prefaced it by saying I don't I don't want to give anybody the idea that I think just having good church is enough mm-hmm. uh, we should and it should be excellent we need to do it the best of our ability we need to take care of folks be friendly and love people and all that but but we're only at church how many hours in the week three or four hours right right and where are we everywhere else in the week we're at home we're at work we're at school you know all these other things and so those are the things that need to be addressed. And James one twenty two says, you know, be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And so at the church, at church building, that's where we're the hearers. 
mm-hmm. but everywhere else we're supposed to be the doers and that's where the rubber you know? meets the road and so we're not you know we're not addressing that and so he's and then he said this he said now finish that scripture james 1 said be doers of the word not just hearers only deceiving our own selves so we've got we've got churches full of people that are faithful and they're there every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday. But the rest of the week, they're not really building their relationship with, with God. And so they're deceiving their own selves to think that we're that they're ready to go just because they only focus on the church building right? instead of the relationship. That really, that impacted me. Our church will hear a little bit about that. I'll tell you yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brother Isaacson, since we have you on, uh, fill in the, the people that may be listening that aren't familiar with your ministry. Uh, what, what's your background? Oh, boy, how long is this supposed to be? <laughs> as long as you want it. You have prayer meeting tonight at 7. It is 3 o'clock right now. Yes. So, so we somewhere within the four-hour range. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it, it's quite a story. Um, I was not raised in church. And uh, I was, and in fact, I was 20 years old before I was introduced to Pentecost and mm-hmm. introduced to the truth. And uh, my wife, and I hope she's okay with me saying this, but you know, as a teenager, she backslid. She uh, was, we'll edit that out. Yeah. Okay. No, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> um, she. I'm trying to make him comfortable. That's right. Her her family got in church when she was three, so she was basically raised in in, in church and in, in the truth. And I was not. I was raised a different denomination. Um, pretty moral family. Um, went to church every Sunday morning, you know. But then, you know, just kind of like I said, then the rest of the week we just did whatever. So I had a kind of an awareness of God and awareness of, the, of that He existed, but no relationship. And so I lived my life basically for music. I mean, I loved. I took piano lessons at a very early age when I was seven, eight, and nine. Uh, we moved to Wyoming when I was thirteen, and uh, and I started playing. You know, learning rock songs and picked up the guitar and, and picked up the bass and things like that and so I was I was all caught up in, in, in rock music and, and started playing in bands when I was 14, 15 years old you know and playing little school dances and you know things like that and so I was very involved in, uh, in rock music and so when I was my wife and I met when I was 19 and uh, I'd been playing in the band for a while we actually had um, uh, a manager lined up and a little tour and it spent a bunch of money on lights and equipment and all this stuff and so that's what I was going to do. Well, when can I ask uh, what sure. kind of um, what, what kind of bands that people would be familiar with that your music was kind of uh, style wise? We were pretty to? classic rock, progressive classic rock. We played a lot of sticks. Journey. Now it's classic rock, but back then it was back, progressive. Yeah, back then it was progressive. <laughs> yeah, Kansas, Journey, Sticks, Rush, yes. And then, you know, just like your normal, you know, Dewey Brothers yeah. and some Led Zeppelin, you know, stuff like that. So you were 20 years old when you got into the church. Yes. You met your wife at 19 years old. Yeah. She was in the church before. How, how, was she raised in the church? She, yeah, she was raised in the church. We uh-huh. actually worked together at the same restaurant, so okay. that's how we met. Okay, and what town was that? Uh, Rock Springs, Wyoming. Rock Springs. So yeah. she was 19. She had already been backslidden. What did her parents think about the rock star boyfriend that oh, she had? Oh, they didn't like me at all. They, you know, I had the, I had the mullet rocking, you know, the, the long oh. hair and all that, and they, they didn't like this long-haired hippie that she was associated with. But unfortunately, at the time, she, you know, was kind of doing what she wanted to do, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, but she, she's the one that that actually introduced me to the truth. And when when we got married, and then we had our daughter, 
um, I was raised um, in, in a church atmosphere enough to think, okay, well, we've got a little family here, so um, so we go to church. Let's go to church on Sunday, mm-hmm. you know. And I mean, right after Katrina was born, she was probably a week, week and a half old. And I said, well, let's let's go to church. And and so Rita said, well, if, if we're going to go to church, we're going to go to my church. Yeah. I'm like, well, I don't care where we go. Let's just go. So my first introduction to Pentecost was, was that Sunday. This was back in January of 1982 and uh, so my first experience with Pentecost buddy let me tell you it was it was a rocking church they were having revival uh, I walked it always seems like when you go to a Pentecostal church for the first time it's that service it's that, yeah. it's that why service. can't it ever be an off service where you're like well yeah, I can get used to this I think it's one of the ones where they're like okay visitors here let's show out man let's, let's <laughs> you know so you know the music starts up and, I'm, and there's drums in the church and I'm like oh okay you can get with well, that I'm okay yeah. with that yeah that's good so stuff. what was your instrument by the way I don't know if a I guitar keyboard mostly and okay. guitar and bass okay. also so did you have any background into um Christianity at all before coming to a Pentecostal church? Anything at all? Yeah, well, I've been younger. Um, I've been to a couple of church camps, summer camps, like Methodist Methodist camps, and, you know, sort of the taking acoustic guitar out under the trees and sing mm-hmm. Kumbaya and, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, I had kind of an experience with that, and I always loved music, so even my sister and myself sang and played the guitar and played a little, sang the choir in, in the Methodist church also. So I was always kind of involved there. But it never really made the connection that it's anything more than just on Sunday. You know what right. I'm saying? Gotcha. Um, so, so you know, my so, so my first experience with Pentecost. You know, we you, you had a, a lady named Sister Dora. Loved loved her, and she she was older at that time. She come out of the pew with a hand up raised, speaking in tongues. Which I, I'm like, oh, oh <laughs> what is what is this? You know, and the preacher's just getting fired up and excited, and and uh, just just a real move of God. And I remember thinking, you know, I've, I've never been to a Pentecostal church before, but I remember thinking, well, this is not necessarily for me. But but this is real, yeah. And and it's it's something that they're they're fired up about. So I'm okay with that, you know. Um, and so the Lord, from that moment on, the Lord just kind of started dealing with me, and uh, and little little at a time, and, and nothing that I can I can kind of quantify as to when He spoke and you know all these things. But you know, at the same time, we were kind of going to church on Sundays and the revival here and there. I'm practicing five, six nights a week with the band. I'm always gone. Got a little girl. So my the the other side of the story that I didn't know at the time was my wife was was thinking Rita was thinking, okay, this is not gonna work. You know, he's gone all the time. He's leaving me with the baby. She's traveling to see her mom. She's calling her mom saying, I need to come stay with you and, and all of that. And and uh, so so this kind of went on for a while. Um, but I remember a time there was it was in May of, of 1982, and we had a we had a gig in Colorado, which was about three hours away from where we lived. And it was on a Saturday night. We went and played played the gig, um, and uh, and just went ahead and packed up and drove back home since it was so close. So like I got home about six o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning, and uh, I get up and, and or I get home and I told Rita I said, well I'm I'm not going to go to church with you today. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm wiped out. We've been doing all of this. And she's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll go without you. So she went to church uh, with her friend, ironically, is a pastor's wife here in Arkansas, Sister Larabelle, Leah Larabelle. They were childhood friends. <laughs> and uh, so she went with her to church. And it was that morning the Lord spoke in, in a tongues and interpretation. And, uh, and Rita said she felt like it was for her. It was one of those, okay, I'm, I'm dealing with you. This is... 
know, I'm giving you another chance. You need to respond type deal. So she went to the altar and prayed back through the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues, just a wonderful experience, just, just praying back through, you know. Well, she stayed and went to church Sunday night before she came home. So she came home Sunday night, and I'm kind of sitting in my chair waiting on her to get home. And when she, brothers, when she opened that door, it was like the room lit up, like she's glowing, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and she walks in and she said, guess what? I said, you got the Holy Ghost, didn't you? She said, I got the Holy Ghost. And wow, I thought, wow, that's something. So, so she's she comes in. We talk for a minute. Well, then she goes in the bedroom, and I finish, you know, doing what I'm doing. So a little while later, I'm like, well, where's she at? And I went back to the bedroom and and tried the bedroom door. And it was locked, and uh, I stuck my ear to the door, and I heard her in there praying. And she told me later she was praying for me. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it it seemed like it was that locked door that the Lord spoke to me at that moment and said, she's got something that you don't have. And you can never have a relationship with her like you need to until you get it. Wow. And uh, and so so at that moment, the Lord really began to deal with me. And I'd been around church long enough to know, and, and this was just me, and I, I want to tell you, I'm thankful to the Lord that he, he kind of built me this way. I just knew I couldn't do it halfway. It's like, if I'm going to serve the Lord... I've got to quit the band. I've got to lay all that aside, and I'm going to give God all I've got. That's Just, difficult because that's all you've known. That's that's all I've done my whole life, you know. In fact, I, I had a full ride scholarship to to college and quit after a year to come back and play in the band and be a, like a rock star, right? Yeah. I'm talking about Columbia University in New York City. Mm, wow, full ride scholarship. Wow. But we'll get to more. We'll get to that later. I, mean, I want to say something. Yeah. Like so that. <laughs> we actually we actually want to to talk about the music culture okay. in in the church how you you're very heavily still involved in music ministry absolutely yeah. uh, actually how we met each other brother Isaacson was um, playing together at Arkansas District Camp that's where I really got to, to know you right, right. and you really have a a blessing yeah. in the ministry of music and can you endeavor into how the music can really change the culture of a church and of an individual and it's not just even even a church right i mean when you look at the united states history how music has been integral in different decades how how you hear certain music and it's just kind of a reflection almost of the times yeah and and it certainly bleeds over into the church that the music that we play does change a church culture. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I believe that. I, I think that's scriptural. You know, Second uh, Chron- or First Chronicles five and thirteen is probably one of my favorite verses, where it talks about when the trumpeters and the singers were as one mm-hmm. to make one sound, to make one sound, to be praising and thanking the Lord, saying the Lord is good, His mercy endureth forever. That then the house of the Lord filled with a cloud and the glory of the Lord came down. So what is, what is the importance of the kind of music that you listen to? What, what, what comes, what comes with music? Yeah. Well, listen, I, I, I believe with all my heart, there are, there are spirits attached to music. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and when you worship the Lord, I mean, you're, you're just, you're, you're setting yourself up for success. You know, when, when, when you feel your, you know, whatever you fill your mind with, you know, diet is not just what we eat. Right. Diet is what we consume. Mm. You know, so what do we read? What do we listen to? What do we, what, what, what's in our, in our iPhone? You know, what, what, what are we fired up about as far as, you know, do, do we worship 
do we do we listen to you know, there's there's satanic influences all through me. I, I believe that just from my background, okay? Because right. I I know, you know. In fact, when I first got in church, my wife's mother and her her mom and dad were preached. They were pastors, and this is that this is back in the early late seventies, early eighties when backmasking. And I don't know if you ever heard of the term backmasking. What what that was was they they were saying that. In, in rock music, certain songs and certain bands, they were going into the studio and recording, um, re- recording things to where when you played them backwards. backwards yes, I have heard yeah, that. They were. I know, didn't know the term for messages, that. And, yeah, they call it backmasking. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I was just convinced. Oh, I get it because the back. Yeah. Okay, okay. So if you play it backwards, back, it's got, it masks. Now what there I'm was saying. yeah, like yeah. There, there, there's big conspiracy theories about the Beatles having songs that when you played them backwards, they would come out with a different message. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. And on the same page the, the big one like was, Stairway to Heaven yeah Stairway to Heaven was a big one you know things like that and I was just kind of convinced because because I I was in that world but I was I was more in it for the music mm-hmm. you know I just really loved how it made you feel and you know, all that and so I'm thinking you know me the, the, the eternal optimist is like well surely that's not true you know they're yeah. not really true. but I, I became convinced through study and, and all that that it really was true and, and satanically influenced obviously you know and um, if it was bad then, uh, imagine what it it's really like now. Right. Well, the problem is that was subliminal, mm-hmm. you know. And, and but but they're just out there right oh. now. I mean, they don't have to be subliminal. It's just I think the message of the music today is obvious. You yeah. know what the, what the influence is, and and to me, music is such can can move you so so much because it's emotionally it mm-hmm. deals it really deals with the flesh. Yeah. That's I mean, like what you said. It it makes you feel something. It it, it absolutely does. I mean, it, you know, everybody, of course, I'm, I'm revealing how old I am, but, you know, every time I hear, and please don't laugh, but, um, you know, tie, tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. You, you, you We're know, not going to relate here. Do you know relate? <laughs> okay, so those folks out there that can relate, Tony Orlando has this song, Tie a Yellow Ribbon Around the Old Oak Tree, right? And it's about a guy that's in prison who's in love with this girl, and he's messed up. And so he sends a message. He's fixing to get out of prison. And he says, okay, if you still love me and you're going to take me back, then you tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree, and when I come and I see that ribbon, I'll know everything's okay. Said so if there's no ribbon, then I'll just go along my way. I'll leave you alone. Blah blah blah. So you know the song ends where he comes around the corner and there's a hundred yellow ribbons tied around it. I mean, who doesn't you know tear up? You know. <laughs> so I mean, you can you can move people with music. You know, we can we can do it in Pentecostal churches if we if we want to move a God. We know what song to play. That's right. We know we know to write a devil verse. You know, if you want a devil. Stop and verse and get people fired up. You know, you know what I'm saying. I mean, there's, you can do that, but but the people that are sensitive to the spirit, that that are led by the spirit, and try to flow with the spirit. You know, that's that's what God intends. All all music was created to glorify God. That's why it was created. Right. And of course, Satan's perverted it for his purposes, like he does, you know, everything else. But I think music can be so important is because it is so fleshly and so emotional. Okay, it's it's. On, uh, on on the raw edge, perhaps you'd say it's it's carnal. It appeals to the carnal nature. You can move people that are not spiritual at all to tears, just through the right cording, through the right words, through the right message, and all of that. In fact, I, I just my opinion. You know, when when the Bible talks about the descendants of Cain. Um, it talks about the, the ones that were the first to, to have musical instruments, I believe his name is Jubal, that was the first to play the harp and the organ and all of that. You know, de- descendants of Cain, the one that was, that was 
you know, isolated and, and put away. And so in, in, in my mind, that's kind of a type of the shadow of, of the origination of music in this world, kind of coming down the, the line of flesh and carnality. And yeah. so that's got to be turned toward God. I'm going to tell you what, if you're a musician and you're a singer, you, you need to be praying. Absolutely, because Satan can influence you just like that. I, I believe that they need you need to be the, the ones in the prayer room. You need to have your your devotion life. And, and I'm I, I'm not preaching here, but I just you know I've been there, and I believe that I know how even even with good intentions, how how Satan can use you to kind of move a crowd and manipulate a crowd. And that's that's not the will of God. The right. will of God is for us to submit to His will and what He desires, and 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 not try to do what we think ought to happen. And you know, there's so many Christian songs out there now, uh, air quote Christian songs that's out there now that. Have has absolutely nothing to do with the death, the burial, the resurrection, the love of Christ. Absolutely. Nothing. Absolutely. And you know, I think it's so vitally important that our music directors and the people who, who lead worship on Sundays prayerfully consider what they actually do go up and, yeah. and lead in front of the congregation. And I mean, absolutely. I think that's vitally important. Absolutely. Uh, on YouTube, when you look your name up, there yes. is a Video of a song that you wrote, yeah, about how the children ought to know. Yeah, uh, do you want to? Can you talk about that? What was the influence behind that yeah, song? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we were we were in Coleman, Alabama, at the time, and we had a. Were you pastoring? No, I was assistant pastor. Okay, assistant pastor, music director. I guess that explains all the Alabama Roll Tide stuff. Yes, it does. Uh, we were there eighteen years. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> That's all right. We love we'll, Arkansas, we'll, but unless they're playing, well, let's let's get past that. Go ahead. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, we had a Christian school, and so uh, one year when we were about to graduate, you know, a couple of our seniors, and we were, you know, some of the kindergartners were going there. I just uh, our, the pastor's wife, Sister Karen Wilbanks, made a statement, and she said we were, we were just kind of talking about something and and talking about what we're teaching our children, and that the, the children need to know the truth, and they need to know what what real life is all about. And she just turned to me and said, you know, you ought to write a a song, Children Need to Know. And for some reason, it just clicked in my mind, and I and I went home that day, and, and that night woke up. Usually, when I when the Lord inspires me on things like that, I'll wake up early in the morning. It's just it's just quiet. It's just me and the Lord, you know. And and that song just came, and that's that's really what it's about. It's not, you know, we don't need to know about this world and all of its mess and all that's all that's going on, and you know, you don't have to know all about the latest social issues and all that. You just need to know the Lord. So the children need to know that Jesus loves them and He died for them, and that that's mm-hmm. kind of the inspiration I had. So it was that I said that was at the graduation where that that YouTube video is. So the songs that you write, does that come from? Almost, you've. How long have you been pastoring here in Whitehall? About seven and a half years. Seven and a half years. Yeah. So the place that you go to get your inspiration for writing music is that almost the same place you go to get your inspiration for messages? Or it is. Can can you? Is there is there a specific avenue that you know that you've you've had such a burden or a passion for? That it's you're not sure whether it is a song or a sermon or can, can you're such a unique situation because you're yeah. a songwriter, you're a musician, you're a preacher, you're a pastor. Right. You, you've came to our church and did a, uh, a marriage retreat. Yeah. You're a jack of all trades. So how how can you define what what you feel like you you're being 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 led on your heart? You know, a lot of times um, the me- a message of a song turns into a sermon as sure. well. You know, they can they can they can kind of coincide. 
Um, but a lot of the times when the Lord gives me a song, it's it's along with a melody and kind of along with a with a hook or whatever. And so I'm sort of feeling I'm, I'm, I've got that in my mind that He sort of fills the words in, and then you know the rest of the the, the chorus comes. And, and it, it's not always like that. Sometimes you kind of grind it out a little bit, you know, some some worship courses. But my my uh, my inspiration is always I, I always try to make it scriptural based. Um, like you said, we need songs about the blood. We need songs about who God is and, and one God in Jesus' name and, and you know, all those things. And but but the other thing that inspires me a lot is is for some reason it's Psalms fifty one, and that's David's of course prayer of repentance after committing adultery with Bathsheba and all of that. And and that psalm is so full of of just a longing after God and just God, I, I just want to be clean. I want to be right. I want to do what you've called me to do. And and I, there's several songs that are sort of written in, in that perspective, just longing after God. God and just you know, just seeking Him first, you know. Because God's certainly after our worship. Absolutely. I see you have a book behind you, the the God Chasers by uh, Brother Tenny's son. Yes. And when I saw his name uh, as you were talking about music, it reminded me this week that I saw a, a post. Uh, on Facebook about uh, Brother T.F. Tenney and how he was going, he was ministering in a service and a man came into the service late. And whenever the service was concluded at the altar call, the man came to Brother Tenney and said, Brother Tenney, I'm very sorry that I was late, but I was here for the most important part because I got the message. And Brother Tenney in his wisdom turned to the man and said, the most important part for who? Because the message right. is for us. But the most important part to God, he doesn't need the message. Yeah. He is the word. That's right. The most important part to him is the worship. Is our worship. Yeah. That's right. Absolutely. And and you know, in, in my in my mind and I think it's scripturally too, worship it is just comes from worthship. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we show God what he's worth to us by the way that we worship. Right. That's so good. And I'll you know, I'll just tell you, it drives me crazy when people can come to church and not worship. Because mm-hmm. it's like, well, why? Why did you come? Because that's why we're here. Right. We're here. We're here to worship. And whatever that is, you don't have to run the aisles. You don't have to bite the bite the back of the pew. You don't have to swing from the chandeliers. But you you need to do something. Right. Right. Because worship is not just with your mouth. You know, people worship. You know, with my their mouth, but their heart is far from you. Your heart will cause you to do something. It will cause you to respond. I want to get on a little more of a personal level with you here, real sure. quick. Yeah. Um, we have, uh, we have all had these instances where we've struggled with what the Lord, we feel like the Lord's just dealing with us. Yeah. And we, we, uh, we talked about it a little bit before with a previous guest that we almost come up with excuses or, or fight with, re, or coming up with reasons why we can't do this or why I don't want to fulfill what we feel we know we should be doing. Right. Is right. there is there a sermon or a thought or a song that has ever been laid on your heart that has almost been too difficult for you to 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 either preach or put down to words? Something that you've really struggled with that we that you know God laid it on your heart but you right. didn't know how to Present it, present it without hurting someone. Hurting is a very broad, broad situation. Right. I, I mean, that may not be the right word, but just you know, you knew it was going to be difficult. But you, how did you do that? Yeah, you know, I'll be honest. I can't think of a time. You know, just the Lord's been gracious that that even through difficult, difficult uh, subjects and, and circumstances, 
I, I just absolutely have to take it to prayer and just ask God to help me, you know, to deliver it. One of the, one of the things that, uh, that I've, I've practiced since we've been here, because this is, you know, we moved here in, in January of 2012, and this was our first pastorate. I'd never pastored before. Just been an assistant pastor, and these have been in the ministry thirty years, but but had never pastored, and and it's it's different. And uh, but I knew, you know, I'm coming from a place where I was most of my position was was building a music team. You know, we had choirs and we had groups and we had specials and musicians and teaching lessons and developing all of this. And so I probably preached um, two or three times a year. You know, while I was there, and now you're and, doing two, three now times I'm doing a week. Three times a week, and I'm like, okay, Lord, you're going to have to help me. Get right. <laughs> I see all the books behind you. <laughs> so, so I began to pray, and this is—I really believe the Lord laid this on my heart, and I've prayed this, if not every day, nearly every day since then. Is Solomon's prayer um, for wisdom when he prayed to me? He said, "Lord, I, I pray for wisdom, for for knowledge, for an understanding heart." Um, help me discern between good and bad that I can go out and come in before your people you know because that's because I, I don't know how to do it so God you're going to have to help me and, and I think sometimes the danger in, in doing it for a while you know like, hey I got seven and a half years under my belt I got the tiger by the tail man I, I know what's going on you know the danger in having a little bit of experience and getting through some things and the Lord delivering you from some things you start thinking okay I got this right well look God doesn't do it the same way every time that's just, right. He just doesn't, and so so I think it's important to stay stay focused on. Okay, Lord, you, you did it. You know, I, I remember a story when David is, is going to chase after the enemy that's come in and, and, and took over the, the city, and and they, he went to the Lord. He said, "Should I should I pursue?" The Lord said, "Pursue, and you're going to overtake him." Okay, so then he gets to another certain point. He said, "Lord, should I do it?" He said, "No, wait." And so if David would have just said, "Okay, he told me to pursue. I'm going to keep going," and not pray about it again. He'd have missed because God was going to do it a different way the next time, you know. And so I just, I try to keep that in mind, that, that I may feel confident, but there's some things coming I can't see, but God can see. Right. So I've, I've got to seek Him and know. Wow, that's, that's powerful. So, uh, so we've kind of moved ahead a little bit as we start talking about music. Uh, so let's go back and pick up where we left off with the story. So you okay. went to the door, and you felt like God spoke to you. Yes. And, and what was your journey from there? Okay, so from there, I, you know, I had already made up my mind that, that at that moment, I said, well, and I wrestled all night long. Okay, now at that point, at that time, I was, um, I was a breakfast cook. So I was up early, got up at like five and get ready for work. And so I wrestled all night long. I got up the next morning and by the time I got up, I decided I'm going to quit the band and I'm going to go, I'm going to serve the Lord. And uh, so I, I didn't say anything to my wife. I just got ready for work and went there. And I remember calling her before I before I came home from work. I said, hey, I, I want to talk to you about something when we get home. So I just want to make sure you're, you're there and all of that. Well, she told me later that she thought I was calling and was going to say, hey, I want a divorce. And, and you know we're 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 through. This isn't working. I want to go be a rock star. You go take, live your life. I'll yeah. live mine. So she's feeling she like really we're moving in two opposite directions. Yeah, she really thought that's what was going to happen. So so when I came home and I told her, I said, I, I feel like um, that I, I want to serve the Lord. I'm going to quit the band. And she did, she couldn't believe it. It was you know just done. And, and she was so happy. We cried and you know and, and prayed together and. And uh, so, you know, at that time, this was a slow journey because I'm, I'm not familiar with Pentecost, right, at all. All I know is just a few months that I've been kind of coming to church. Well, we were supposed to practice that night, 
And so we drove to, it was a town about 20 minutes away where the, one of the guys had a house and he took, took over the basement. That's where we practiced. Well, it just happened to be that where Sister Larabelle lived was that same town. So she drove with me. We went to uh, Leah's mom and dad's house, Brother Sister Labou, and I dropped her off. And immediately they said, we're going to be praying for you. And they hit their knee. They hit their knees before I left, and just began to pray. And I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be the hardest thing I've ever done, man. Because we, you know, we just we just spent ten, fifteen thousand dollars on lights and equipment, and and we're getting lined up for this uh, little tour, and you know, all this stuff. And so things are starting to open up a little bit. Well, here comes the keyboard player, bass player, one of the lead singers, and says, you know, I'm all quit. <laughs> Took the hit for you. <laughs> this is not going to be good, right? So, so I go over and uh, and so I just said, hey, want to talk to you guys about something? You know, just and just kind of laid it out and said, you know, and at that time I didn't have the boldness because, of course, I didn't have the Holy Ghost, and, and I'm just this is just the beginning of my journey. So, what I told them was, you know, listen, Katrina's been born, got a little baby. And I just I need to I need to focus on my family right now. So I, I think it'd be best if I just quit the band, let you guys go on, and I've got to do this. And I, I and I and I braced myself. I'm like, here it comes. Well, then they said, you know, we kind of expected it. Wow. I said, what? Yeah, we could, we kind of saw it coming. You know, we just we felt like you were becoming a little more disengaged, and you know, so so what the hard what I thought was going to be the hardest thing I've ever done turned into you know one of the easiest things I've ever done. one of the best things you've ever done and one of the best things I've ever done so let me ask you whenever you now this is a time where you can just be honest with us here was there a time after you quit the band and you were starting to develop a relationship with God and start going to church did you ever say to yourself this is harder than I thought. I wish I wouldn't have made that decision. I want to go back to that band. Did, that, did you ever have to deal with something like that? That's a great question. And I'm going to tell you a story. And I want to I want to preface this by saying, I don't recommend doing this. Okay? I would so not rec- don't do this. Yes. Do not I'm, do this. I'm a pastor. I'm pastoring folks out there. You're listening to this. Do not do this. But <laughs> but this is, you know, just in my kind of innocence, this is what I did. So, so that was in May of, of 1982. I got baptized the following week in Jesus name and then I began to seek the Holy Ghost and so I, I it took a couple of months I received the Holy Ghost June 21st 1982 Rocky Mountain District Camp meeting Brother J.T. Pugh preaching the pits of sin right? <laughs> that'll I mean, do it I mean I just remember it all right but I was one of those um, one of those seekers uh, that w- was there a while because I, I couldn't get out of my own head. You know, I'm thinking, okay, how's this going to happen? What am I going to say? What's it going to feel like? You know, I'm going, I'm going you know, now paralysis by analysis, right? So I'm just, I'm just praying, but nothing's really happening. So four or five hours of prayer. Well, there were some prayer warriors there with me, and we finally, I finally just gave up. I said, God, I don't know what's wrong with me. And I remember just crying, saying, God, I want this so bad. I love you. What is wrong with me? And, and then the next thing I knew, I was speaking in tongues. You know, just, he just filled me. Okay, so probably a month later, maybe two months later, there was a club in Rock Springs where we played. I don't, I don't remember the name of it now, but we, we actually had played there as a band, and then we, we went there when other bands would come through. And uh, I was visit- we were in Rock Springs visiting, and, uh, and a band that I knew, I, kn- I knew who they were, and, and we kind of had some interaction. They were going to play at this club, and, I, and here's what I thought to myself. I said, you know what? I'm going to go to this club, and I'm going to listen to this band, and I'm going to see if I miss it. 
<laughs> big mistake. You know, don't do that, people. Okay. So, so anyway, I said, I'm just, I'm just going to see if I miss it. So I go, I go walking in, and uh, me and my, I think my brother-in-law, uh, Rita's brother, went with me, and we went in, and they, they fired it up, and they're playing, you know, hold the line by Toto, and they're playing some of these other songs that we did, and I'm just sitting there listening. I'm thinking, you know what? This ain't it anymore, man. This, this is not for me. Thank you, Lord. And we walked out after about two songs and said, I'm done. And that, so, you had to have that closure. So I, I, it, that was kind of closure for me. You know, it was almost like I didn't mean to put God to the test, but I'm just like, okay, I want to see if I really, because I was so involved in, in, in yeah, it was like music. You're putting you know? yourself to the test. Though. Yeah. And so I just thought, you know what, this this is real, man. This I, I don't miss this at all. I don't feel nothing. I don't, you know, it's like, thank you, Lord. Let's let's go. That's awesome. And, you know, hadn't, hadn't looked back since. That's so, awesome. You know, you were talking about don't do this moments. I thought of something. um, Our pastor, you know, there's so many of these don't do this moments. And I want to share one of mine. I had a pastor who... um, we had a pretty good sized youth group in the in the town that I came from, and uh, the the kids were saying we were talking about music and what what stands behind music, and you really need to be careful with what you're listening to when it comes to music because you don't know the baggage that carries and the weight that's on the shoulders of the artist that's producing it, what he's really transpiring through those words. Right. And um, there's this kid that came to our pastor. He said, "I'm just having a hard time." with getting rid of my music i love the music i listen to and my pastor was a younger guy he said well bring it in here and let's listen to it together so i remember this guy we we called i think his name was little will he's a little guy and he brought in eminem for my pastor they began playing some rap music in uh my pastor's office and but what he did before uh brother mckinnis did before they played that music they prayed together and said lord the reason we're playing this music together is so we can overcome this. Yeah. And I remember little Will leaving that office and going home and taking all of those Eminem CDs and just throwing them out the window, driving home, awesome. you know. But, you know, yeah. you would never think until you face your demons. Like you were just saying, you wanted, right. you wanted that closure. You wanted to know that... That wasn't for you no more. Right. And right. I think it's very vital and important for us to face what we feel is our weakness to find out it's no longer our weakness. Yeah, exactly. If you had gone to that club and you said, what have I done? Where do you think you would be today? Oh, there, there's no bad. I'd probably be dead. I, I, know, we'd, I know I'd be divorced. And I, I would have probably been consumed by, by that life. You know, or drugs, alcohol, whatever. Wow. Um, I, I I really believe that. You know, because you know, obviously God does not supersede our will, but He He moves in our lives and, and gives us the opportunity to make the right choices. You know, and uh, and I just yeah. believe that that He's helped me and allowed me to allowed me to do that. Brother Isaacson, I want to first of all thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I want to get on a personal level very personal sure uh we i i do not know the story so i'm coming in very blindsided brian knows a little bit of the story um i told somebody that we were going to be sitting down and having a conversation with you and i have to hear the story of your mom okay can you please share that with our listeners absolutely absolutely well here's the deal i I always knew i was adopted 
and uh, just just from an early age. And you know, my parents did did the best they could to raise me. And and like I said, they I don't ever remember them telling me I was adopted. I just kind of always knew, so I was okay with that. You know, um, and I knew a little bit of the story. Um, they they told it was a closed adoption. But I was born in 1961, so it's back in '61 in uh, in Reno, Nevada, is where the adoption agency it was a, like a Catholic um, adoption agency. And so they gave they gave my parents a little bit of information, but not a whole lot because it's kind of closed, and that's you know you you can't dig those records out. And uh, so I knew that my my mother was a musician. She was a piano player. In fact, she was at, at 15. She was a classical piano player. She had a grand piano and was like a you know trained. And and I also and I knew that my father was in the military. And so in my in my uh, mind, I'm thinking, well, it was a military situation. He was probably overseas. She's at home. Can't handle a little baby. So they gave me up, you know, for adoption. Young couple, you know, whatever. At what age were you thinking this? Um, you know what. Probably as, as I became a teenager and kind of started thinking about it. Okay, so that's, you kind of filled in your own gaps. Kind of filled in my own gaps, just from what we knew, you know. And so, and, and, and I don't know, it's just something about me and my makeup, but I, I never really um, had a desire even to seek after my, my birth parents. Just I was okay with how life had turned out. You know, I was okay with with who who I was with and my, my mom and dad. You know, like I said, they did their best to raise me, and uh, in a good good uh, Christian moral home, not not in the truth. You know, but but just did the best they could, and so I was happy and I was provided for. My dad always had a good job. You know, and so there were there weren't any struggles there. So I never desired to even now. My my wife did just for medical purposes because you know when we had kids and then we started having grandkids we're like okay well what's your history you know is there heart disease or is there cancer is there anything you know in the background that we should maybe know about so so she looked a, dabbled a little bit and kind of looking and just kind of met a kind of a dead end because like i said it was closed adoption and those were pretty sealed up well it was after that we came here we came here in january 2012 and i remember in august of 2012 i was here at the church on a saturday and as is normally I'll, I'll spend most of saturday here just praying and seeking the lord and kind of finishing up what i feel like the lord has for the next day and all that so i, I get a phone call and it's a number i don't recognize um it's but i answered it and the person on the other end said is this pastor zane isaacson i said yes it is she said were you born on August 11th, 1961? And I said, yes, I was. And I'm thinking, what is this about, you know? The next thing, she asked the third question, she said, do you know if you're adopted? I said, yes, I am adopted. And she said, well, we think we found your birth mother. And I said, well, of course, this is sad, but my first thought was, so what's it going to cost me to find out? <laughs> you know, because you know, you, you know, you're always aware of the scam artists oh, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. You know, she said, no, no, this it's not going to cost you anything. She said, let me tell you what's, tell me tell you how we found you, what the story is. And apparently, my birth mother had had another child a year later, a year after me, named Laura. And so now, I, now immediately, I've learned I've got a half sister out there named Laura. Okay. <laughs> And she said, Laura has now begun to had begun to search for her mother, for her birth parents. And so Laura found her mother. Her name is Dina, and she lives in Florida. And uh, so when we connected Laura with Dina, 
And she said, we're just, and I forget the name of the agency, I've got it written down, but it's Angels of Mercy or something like that. And that's what they do. They try to reunite um, adopted kids with their, with their birth parents and things like that. And so that's the agency she went through. And so when we connected Laura and Dina, we asked Dina, did you have any other children? And she said, well, I did have a son a year earlier. And uh, so then they immediately began looking for me, and they, I think they found my Facebook page. That's how they knew I was a pastor and all this stuff. And she said, so, so we, we, we think that we found your, your birth mother. And I said, wow, I, you know, this kind of hit me. It's, it's something, and here's, here's the personal side of this, is that I, I never had a desire to search for my birth parents, but as soon as that knowledge was available, there was something deep inside me that said, that just broke. It's like, okay, I must have had a need in there that I didn't even really know I had. And I was, I was choked up, man. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't hardly talk. And I, I remember calling Rita, my wife, and said, you won't believe the call I just got. And I just start crying. I can't hardly tell her. And uh, she's, so I went home and we talked about it some. And, uh, and I, couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to call Dina yet. So my wife called her. And, uh, and of course my wife knew the, the, as much of the story as we knew. And so she called Dean and talked, she talked to her for about two hours and she got done with the phone call. She said, Zane, it's real. This, this is your birth mother. Mm. And uh, so I gathered myself together. It took me a few days, quite honestly. And so then I, I called Dina and uh, talked to her. And uh, it, was, it was, I can't describe it, it was pretty amazing. So and, did, when you found out that they had found uh, your birth mother, Dina, yeah. were you, did you have any feelings of anger or bitterness or any, what, 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 what was the first emotion that you had to fight or battle? Was there one? The, the first emotion, and, and I, like I said, I don't know where it came from. It was just, there was almost this longing that I didn't know was there that kind of came out and said, I want this to be true type situation. You know what I'm saying? I, I want this completeness because I'm, I'm I like to complete tasks I like closure I like I'm OCD I like everything in its place you know blah 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 and so here's a piece of my life that's really not but I've sort of shut it away like oh well that'll never be resolved so I'm not gonna worry about it but as soon as as soon as the it came to to the point where yes this could be resolved you could you could know it's like something broke inside of me and so, so when I, call, I finally called her and we talked for a good while and I kind of told her about my life and what had been going on and she, she talked to me about herself. And, and so I finally said, I told her, I said, well, Dina, can I, can I ask you what, the, what the, the story was? Why? You know, why I was giving up and, and, and all of that. I said, let me tell you what I know. I know that you were, are, are you a musician? She said, yeah, I'm a musician. I'm a piano player. I'm a concert pianist. That pro- had to almost take your breath away. It, it did. It did. I'm like, well, yeah. And again, the music that's always been a desire of mine, just the, the ability or whatever. And then, and I said, was it, a, and I, it was my, was my dad in the military? She said, well, let me tell you the story. She said, here's, here's what it was. She said, we were, we were in the military. And my father, this is Dina talking, my father was a major uh, in, the, in the army, and we were stationed in the Philippines. He was a high-ranking official uh, there in the Philippines, and, and me and some of the other kids that were on the base put a little rock band together, a little band together, and we were, we were playing. She said, and I got together with one of the guitar players, and I ended up pregnant. And uh, she said, so, now this is 1960, okay? And, uh, 
not in this. <laughs> Brother, this is amazing. Okay, for you, this is bad podcasting, but if you can't see Brian and I, we just keep looking at each other, shaking our heads. It's unbelievable, this, man. It, it's the circle of life. Yeah, it is. And so, so this is 1960, right? And so as soon as her dad, this high-ranking official, right, in the, in the Army, finds out his daughter's pregnant, he immediately, and this is, this is the part of the story that blew me out, he immediately put her on a plane to, to Tokyo, Japan, to get an abortion. He wanted rid of it. And so she got on the plane, she drove to Japan. She got back on the plane, and by the time she realized that she was on back on the plane, she realized that the abortion didn't take. And she was, she was still pregnant. And so at that time, then when she got back, then he had a sister in San Francisco, and, and he flew her to San Francisco to, it was kind of a girl's, Catholic girl's home where she would have the baby and then give it up immediately for adoption. And so, so now I'm like, so I always knew it was adopted, but now I find out that I am a survivor of a botched abortion. Oh my. <laughs> I'm like, Man, that is for the Holy Ghost. Oh God. And so, I, you know, if there was any doubt about God having a purpose for my life and God calling me, it just erased all of it. Because I'm like, you, you saved me before I was even born. Saved my life, you know. And, uh, and, so, and so that was kind of the rest of the story. And, 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 just, and it came to me, and I've, I've, I've shared that a couple of times, and the Lord really gave me the scripture in Job that talks about, you know, I looked behind me and I couldn't find it. And I looked, I looked behind to, the, you know, I looked to the west, to the right, to the left, and he was nowhere to be found. But then he says, but he knows the way that I take. Wow. And when I am tried, I shall come forth as gold. And what the Lord spoke to me, he said, you know, you, you may not know where I am, but I know where you are. Yeah. I know the way that you take, and I've had my hand on you this whole time. And it's like, it was just like revelation, like any doubt about, about what God has called us to do and to be is just, was just erased. Wow. And so... Have you have you met up with your mom? I have. You have. How did that go? We did. You know, it, it wasn't an Oprah moment. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> and, and, and not 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 because it was bad, but but and let, and let me just share this. And I'm going to just be pretty vulnerable here. I hope it's okay. But um, we we took our kids, our grandkids. Um, me and my wife took our five grandkids. Yes, we're crazy. Um, to Disney World for Christmas a couple years ago. Not only you crazy, but you're broke now. <laughs> That's right. And, and we decided to drive, so we drove the 14 hours, you know, whatever, to Orlando. No, he's crazy. Okay, <laughs> and just made an adventure out of it, right? And it was it was a blast. We had a great time. But so we routed the, the route coming home. She's in Tallahassee, near Tallahassee, Florida. And so the route coming home, we... Um, we... Uh, we came. We intentionally stopped to see her, and uh, and so and she was just as, as happy as she could be, you know, to meet to meet Rita and to meet the grandkids, and of course to see me for the first time face to face. You know, she just used to tell me. She said, you know, she said on your birthday, she said I knew when your birthday was. She said I would just go outside of my house and look up at the sky and just kind of hug myself and just wonder where you were and just. You know, just just wonder about you. You know, and so that, you know, that was kind of a tender moment. She's she's um, kind of a throwback to the 
the hippie movement, you know, still, because you got real long gray hair, dresses a little bit like the like a flower child, sort of, and, you know, things like that. And, and, and she, you know, quite frankly, and I, I'm glad the Lord connected us, and I, and I hope he'll use me to, to, to help maybe bring the truth to her life, you know, but she didn't live a good life. Brother Isaacson, let me let me ask you give the man or the woman, the boy or the girl, yeah, that's looking for their mom or dad that was in your exact same shoe situation, yeah. give them a word right here. I feel like yeah. like Brian just said, I feel like the Holy Ghost is in this room yeah. right now. Yeah. Give them give them their word they're looking for right here. Amen. Well I, I want to tell you there, there is, there is something inside of you that, that you don't realize is there, um, and and I'll be honest with you, I didn't even really know how to articulate that till we started talking about it today. But it, it is, it's like a longing inside of you. It's, it's an incompleteness, and and no matter what the story is, okay, no matter no matter if it's good or bad, um, and, you know, some reunions, the the ones they televise are the good ones, right? Mm-hmm. And then the ones that, that you don't hear about or, you know, sometimes the, the birth parents don't want anything to do with you. You know, that's not the case here. But no matter what happens, no matter what the reason, you'll always complete that longing. You'll At least you'll know. You know, we call it closure. I don't, I don't know if that's, that's, that seems like not quite as deep of a word as it should be, you know. It, it just kind of completes that that longing inside of you that, that, you know, it doesn't always answer the questions why. But for me, it was just, and, and you know, and the story, I, I did find out I've got a half-sister, Laura. I've got uh, two more half-siblings, Karen and Michael, that she had from another man that, uh, that I've been in contact also with. And Have you developed a relationship with any of them? Not really. We've, we've connected on uh, at Christmas time. We'll send cards and kind of email back and forth. And Laura actually went back and had a visit with her and sent me some pictures and we, you know, but, but just not a lot of, you know, not a lot of that. But Karen was a, is a school teacher in North Carolina and she actually wrote a book and uh, a book about her experiences uh, as a child living in, in the home with, with a mother that cared more about her men and that um, some abusive situations, things like that. In fact, when I, when I read that book, and my wife can testify to this, I had nightmares just for the next couple of nights thinking, God, not only did you spare me from, from death, from, from an abortion, but you spared me from that kind of a life, you know, growing up. And so it's, it's not always a good story, but I'm, I'm thankful that God allowed it to happen. And, and here's the thing, I know it was God because I wasn't even looking. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't looking. And so God saw something, and maybe that's the word, is God sees inside of you and sees what your need is and sees what that longing is and sees what you're lacking. You don't even know you're lacking it. You don't even know that you need it. But God knows. And that's why I really believe when, when the Bible says, I tried to find him and I looked and I couldn't and he was he was absent and I but and then he said, But but he knows, God knows the way that I take. You know, when you don't know what you need and you don't know where you are, you don't know where he is, he knows exactly where you are. And he knows what you need. Um with being a survivor yeah. from abortion. That is such a hot topic 
and yeah. crucial issue in America today. Right. This has to give you such a unique perspective on this issue. Yeah. We're not talking about theory. We're not talking about our opinion over an issue. You lived through this. And I know a lot of people are get uneasy talking about it right. because it's such a hot topic political issue. Sure, sure. But I, I think that it supersedes politics when you talk about a life. Oh, absolutely. Will you give us your, your, your thoughts on being a survivor to this? Um, if there's a, a person out there that's contemplating having this procedure done, yeah. uh, what is your message to them? Well, well here's the thing. Is, is that I have to look at my life and, and understand that if that abortion had been successful, okay, and, and, and I personally believe that at conception it's life. Okay. It's 100%. 100%. And I believe the Bible teaches that as well. But it's, it's my belief that conception is a life. And so once it's conceived, then everything that you see that's culminated in this moment right here, you see me, I'm sitting here 57 years old, talking to you guys on a podcast, okay? Everything behind us would not have happened. Right, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have written the songs. I wouldn't be pastoring this church. I wouldn't have won the souls that we've been privileged to win and to teach. And I wouldn't have five beautiful grandchildren. I wouldn't even have my two children. You know what I'm saying? None of that would be here if if that would have happened. And you know, and and, and here's here's what people say. You know, they say, you know, are you pro life or pro choice? I'm gonna tell you, I'm both. I'm pro life, and I'm also pro choice. But you need to make your choice earlier. Absolutely, okay. yeah. You need to make your choice to obey God mm-hmm. and not get in that situation. And look, I understand there's rape and there's all of that, but but when it you know when it comes but right, you're now, talking about the statistics say like the yeah. overwhelming minority absolutely are cases like that. Absolutely, mm-hmm. I would I would say look, there's there's enough people in this world that are desiring to raise a child, mm-hmm. and and coming from somebody that that is a survivor. And, and in fact, I, I, I did, on, on our, I, I've done a couple of CD projects of songs, songs that I've written and things like that. And, uh, and on, the, on the newest one, which actually was, it was the year after this happened, I, I wrote a song called, What Was I Gonna Be? And I just woke up uh, again, early in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, with the thought of if that abortion would have took, and, and I wasn't here, then I imagine myself being in heaven and going before the Lord and saying, well, Lord, you know, it, my, it, was, it was such a short time. What was I going to be? What would I have become? You know, would I have, would I have found a cure for cancer? You know, would I, have, would I have done, you know, what I've been able to do? You know, what, what was I going to be? And so that song's on that, on that CD just kind of based on, on that. So that's sort of an answer to your question even. To the person that may be listening that in a desperate moment in life made the decision to have an abortion Yeah. that may be listening in that when they hear people talk about it they feel so overwhelmed with guilt and shame over what they have what they, they did again in a dark and desperate day sure. what do you what message do you have to them from a pastoral perspective? 
from a pastoral perspective and, and from a Jesus perspective is God restores. Yes. All right. The the blood covers. God God can forgive. Listen, there's one unforgivable sin. One. Blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Right? Everything else you can put under the blood. Everything else. You can't let the devil tell you it's too late, that you've already messed up, you can't get back. Look, you can get if you're still breathing, you've got a chance. Yes, sir. And God can forgive. And the blood still still flows. It still covers. Amen. So don't man, don't be discouraged. Just just bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. Brother Isaacson, this has been so encouraging and so enlightening, being able to hear your story and, and feel the presence of God that we've we've felt in this place. Um, for a little while though, I want to have a conversation about your pastoral ministry and one thing that I, I know about you is is you've kind of had you've got your iPad sitting over here you got the the Apple watch on you've got the iPhone yeah, uh, nice. I'm sure you've got the plenty of other gadgets at home <laughs> but it, these things are make life so much easier now yeah but they also create pitfalls for people. Right. Um, with people that nowadays through social media, the way that they uh, can connect with people from their old life. Right. Where in times past, you would have to kind of find an address and yeah. write a letter to somebody to try and connect with someone from a past life. But now you can just add them on Facebook and direct message them. Absolutely. And in a moment, they can see it. And and there's so many different things of, of, of course, uh, immoral websites, pornography that's so pervasive online. Right. Um, obviously, we're in the 21st century, and we have to have 21st century solutions to to media. Right. Um, what are the the guidances that you would give someone uh, that again we're we're in the 21st century? What is a how should we approach uh, online, and, and how would you, especially with the young people here in this church, um, as a pastor, what would what do you want to see in their life? And I, w- I want to, before you answer this, sure. Um, we're sitting here in Brother Isaacson's office, and I'm looking. Brian alluded to a book earlier, and as Brian is to my right, I'm looking over at a book, and it says "Life After Google." Yeah. Hmm. So you're the guy to answer this question, bro. I haven't bro. read it yet, though, brother. That's no. on, oh. that's that. Sorry, that's on my to-read list. It's on your to-read list. That's, gotcha. the, that's, the, to, that's the to-read list. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. All right, so going to quote Brian's question, I would love to hear your perspective on yeah. that. Well, to me, the biggest the biggest thing, and, and besides the, the depravity of pornography and, and what you can get into so easily and so quickly, is, is just the distraction of it all. Hmm. And and one of the things that I that I personally do, especially on my iPad, because I, I use my iPad for everything, and I write my sermons, I take my notes, got the Apple Pencil, and so I still love to write. But but I, there's something about me that likes to have it all. I can take it anywhere. You know, I love the feel of a book in my hand, but I also love to have a thousand books in my hand. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so so what I've done on my iPad, I'll do my reading. Of uh, uh, my Bible reading on my iPad, got a, a, a tracker that you know helps me to kind of stay with with what plan I'm reading. But I can also take notes and highlight and the whole nine yards even on that. 
But so I've turned off all notifications on my iPad. You know how it is when you're you're doing something that ding, mm-hmm. Facebook Messenger, ding. You know you got an Instagram post or ding. You know you got an email and blah blah blah. You know I've turned off all notifications. So when I spend time with the Lord and in prayer, I make sure. I try to, you know, get rid of all the distractions. You know, that's funny that you say that because um, our first lady, Sister Runyon, uh, preached at our church on Mother's Day two years ago, and she was using Pastor's iPad. And it was so funny. (laughs) It was so funny because... She had uh, to stop her sermon twice and say, y'all stop texting Pastor. I'm reading his text messages right here. You don't have to tell him I'm doing a bad job. I can read it right here. And and as soon as she outed it that a couple people had been texting him and she was getting them, the whole church. Yeah, ding, ding, ding. Uh Absolutely. I know your church. I can see that. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So um, you you said earlier that you were – Associate pastor, youth pastor. Well, me, can I say one thing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About about that. The other the other thing most important about all the the access is accountability. Yes, sir. And and my absolutely. my wife knows all my pass. If I've got a passcode on my own, on the phone only because I use Apple Wallet, so you have to have a passcode. But she knows my password. She knows uh, where to look. She knows all the all the website needs. She knows how to look at the history. You know all all of that kind of stuff. You just you just have to be an open book because there's there's you know what's done in the dark is is done when you when you think you're not going to get caught right know? and so there there has to be accountability and so I urge our parents to to take their kids' phones every every day you look through it you know there's apps that we've used I forget the names of them uh, now but where you can you know turn them on and off and you can you know okay the, the phone shuts down at nine thirty p.m. It, it doesn't come back on till seven you know you can't do anything on it and, and you know just just parental controls. Yeah. I mean, we, we we have we can't put our head in the sand. You know, we we've got to understand how easy a kid can get somewhere they shouldn't get. Because once you know, some things can't be unseen. Yeah, can't be unheard. It's it's too late. Right. Uh, right. I mean, I know you have great respect for Indiana Bible College. I've heard yeah. Brother Mooney preaching about this subject about how you, you can't restore virginity to someone. Right. You can't and you can't restore innocence. To, to a young man, uh, you know there is a you know a big premium on on virginity, but even beyond that, that innocence, yeah, it may be not intercourse, but seeing something that shouldn't have been seen, or seeing something that you shouldn't uh, see until after marriage, absolutely, uh, absolutely, how it just it takes away that. That innocence, and like I said, when you say that, that's that's what came to my mind is, is remembering hearing him preach that with the passion that, right. that Brother Mooney had preached that. Absolutely. Right. And what what I was going to go to while ago is it kind of goes hand in hand with this. You were you alluded earlier that you were associate pastor, a yeah. youth pastor. Right. Um, I see a plaque where you have five years of loyal dedication service to the General Youth Division. Yeah. You've been a part of quite a bit. Um, since you've been in the church. Yes, sir. A question that I would like to ask you is, Was has there ever been a point in your life where you ran from that calling? No. Never? I, I have to say no. Did you ever struggle with it? I've I struggled with it, um, but not struggle with the call, just struggle with, with where next. You know, man, just hearing the voice of God and what is the next step. You know, there's... 
there's never been and, and maybe it was that going back to that bar and saying you know what this old life isn't for me I'm throwing myself all the way in you know I've never I'm not saying I haven't struggled and fallen and, and failed God at times and all that but it's it's never been because I desired to go back you know to, to the world and back to what I used to be and, I mean in fact I just believe and, and preach you you know once you're once you're delivered man if you're out of Egypt you, you can't go back without it being hard to get back. I mean, I mean, God parted the Red Sea to get them out. And don't forget, he closed it back on the Egyptians. So if you're going to go back, you're going to swim. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's not like he's going to part the water for you to go back. That's something right? I've never even thought about. <laughs> that is impressive. So, <laughs> so with that, not running, ever running from your call and, and embracing what God was doing in your life. Well, and let me, let me say yeah. this. Let me say this also. It, it brings to mind when you say that, that I, I felt before we came here, I felt for years that we, that we would pastor. I felt the, 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 the call to pastor on my life. And and one of the dangers, I think, of being in a good church, because we, we were in a rocking church in Alabama. Um, what church was that? It was uh, Brother Greg Wilbanks was the pastor in, in, in Eva, Coleman, Alabama. And, uh, you know, many years of just revival and growth and just, and it's, it's a rocking church even now. Um, but, uh, you know, the danger of that is, is that I just kind of got comfortable Right, and I felt I felt the anointing of pastoral ministry, and I, I, it even prophesied over us that we would. But because because we got settled and didn't didn't really seek God for for the open door, and Lord, where would you have me? You know, I just figured. You know, we we had a group, we had a choir, forty or fifty voice choir, and many groups and many soloists and in training and teaching piano lessons and all this kind of stuff. You know that. And so I, I had a group of 50 or 60 people probably that I was quote-unquote pastoring at the same time supporting, you know, Brother Wilbanks and, and being a leader, supporting the church and supporting that ministry. So I, I had kind of settled and said, well, this is probably it. This is, this is what we're going to do. Um, and the Lord, you know, just, just he knows my personality. He knows what it, what it once I get settled in, I'm, I'm settled in. It's going to take a lot to dislodge me, and and it did. It was it was a it was a, a hard deal for us to leave there. But 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 seeing God's hand at work and knowing that it was Him that opened the door to do it, um, you know that's so so there there's a danger in just kind of so I'm, I I wouldn't say that I ran from the call, but I but I sort of didn't pursue it like I should have. Okay, Is, does that make sense? That, that yeah, sense. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so with. So, what what is the the total years of ministry experience? Well, I I received the Holy Ghost June twenty first, nineteen eighty two, and I remember the prayer meeting where God called me to preach. It was September twenty fourth, nineteen eighty three, and uh, I was licensed with the United Pentecostal Church in nineteen eighty four, and so I've been I've been licensed since since then. So how many years is that? Thirty thirty five. So there's been a lot of water going to the bridge since then. (laughs) So with that water going under the bridge, how many people that you were connected with did you see go under that bridge? And the reason why I'm asking this is because I wonder what are some of the reasons or what would you say is the primary reason some people kind of lose out? Yeah. with God or lose that with their ministry uh, a, I mean, being a pastor a saint 
that was dedi- very dedicated to the church, right. uh, was a crucial member of the church who decided, for whatever reason, that this Sunday was their last Sunday. Yeah. What are the reasons that it is that so many people, uh, critical people even, seem to walk away? Well, I think there's two. There's two things. Number one, they stop praying, mm-hmm. and you know, the, the thing is, is when people stop really praying and communicating and connecting with God the way that they should, um, it's hard for them to admit it. And and I've, I've I've even dealt with folks that I knew weren't praying like they should. That they'll they'll tell me, well, oh yeah, we're still praying. I'm like, well, you sure? <laughs> yeah, you, know, you sure? And, and it always starts with with the, the the deterioration of that relationship with the Lord because look, that's what it's all about. And and i and one of the things I don't know if we talked about this already, but one of the things from from camp that impacted me the most, and, and in fact, I think it solidified something I believe and something I know. But something Terry Shock said that that you know it's not all about the church building. It's not all about having good church. And if all you do is have good church, but the other... Look, how much time do we spend in the church house? Mm-hmm. Three, four hours a week, maybe five or six. If there's prayer meeting, there's other stuff. So how many times, how many hours do you spend outside of the church building? You know, so it's important what happens here, and it ought to be done with excellence, and we ought to be giving it all we got and all of that. I, I, you, know, you know I believe that. Mm-hmm. But it's more about what we do outside these walls. And not just in reaching people, but in living for God and in our relationship with God. I mean, if I only talk to my wife four or five hours a week, what kind of relationship are we going to have? You know? And, uh, and, and he, he put it this way, James 1 and 22 says, to be ye doers of the word and not just hearers only. And he said, you know, that's that's the importance when you're you're when you're in the house of God, you're a hearer of the word. But when you're outside of the house of God, wherever you're at, at home, school, work, that's where you're supposed to be the doer of the word. That's where you build the relationship. That's where you do righteousness. That's where you build your relationship. He said, but don't forget to finish that scripture. It says, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You know, so you've got people that are faithful to church and they're there every single Sunday and they're paying their tithes and all of that. But the rest of the week, they don't have a prayer life. They don't live for God. They, 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 you know, they, they may not sin, but it's not all about what we don't do, right? Mm-hmm. It's about what we do. It's about being intentional in prayer and in studying that word and, and, and you know, putting on the mind of Christ and all of those things. And so deceiving our own selves, we can, we can be faithful to church every time the church doors are open and think that we're okay and think we're fine, but we're deceiving our own selves because it's not just about that. And so I, I believe that you, you lose out with God when that, when that relationship falls, we get distracted. We get we got cut we got cut up in carnality you know you know and and I've found and you know this to be true if you miss one service or you miss a morning prayer time it's easier to miss it the next it's always day always easier always easier and man if you miss two or three in a row it's hard I'm gonna tell you that I, I've got a real burden for prodigals and for backsliders because I, I and I believe God's going to give us a revival. Of, of prodigals, I, I believe they're all through this city. I believe it's going to happen. In fact, it's been prophesied that it will. But it, it's a hard road. It is a hard road back, 
and uh, so so we're praying for them not just for them but we're praying for the spirits that have them bound we're praying for the strongholds that have, that have gripped them and you know the Bible said the God of this world has blinded the eyes of them that believe not you know they're 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 blinded to what what they're involved in is there so, something specifically that um, made you feel like that was Something like uh, you ha- you have a burden for the prodigals. Yeah. Is there like a, a certain circumstance that happened that really opened your eyes to that, or how did you? You know, I, maybe it's just the way that I'm that I'm made up that I that I've never desired to look back, and I don't really understand that world. But I have been distracted, and I have drifted toward carnality at times, and had to pull myself back. And so I understand if it happens to a pastor, and it happens to to a, a minister, you know. Then how easy it can get it can be to get caught up in in, in all of that out there. And, and, and you I have just, two children in the church. Yeah. What does that mean to you? Oh, it means everything. It means everything, man. In fact, I went, we went to camp with my I had my grandson by my side last night. He was with me in the altar praying. No greater joy. And, oh, how old is your uh, grandson? That's doing that. He's sixteen. Sixteen. No greater joy. And then, of course, my Greg's kids, Alyssa and Jake. I mean, they're they're just they're involved in the church and the work of God and singing and playing instruments and and just full of the Holy Ghost. You know, I mean, there's there's nothing like seeing your kids and your grandkids. You know, our pastor says quite a bit that there is nothing better than a backslider coming back but it's also just as great to have a story that there's some kids that's never left the truth never left that's exactly right mm. that's right amen I was going to ask something different I was getting queued up on it but <laughs> as we're talking I'm just thinking uh, what is it brother Isaac you think that draws so many younger people to your ministry because here in this church, they about every year there's a another person from Indiana Bible College that's pursuing a ministry education, and during the summer they they uh, come here and, and they right. work in this church. Yeah. What, what, what do you think that is that, that draws? I think it's got to be the way he dresses. Well, <laughs> For the people oh, on the God. podcast, yes. you should see this shirt. Yes, indeed. Oh, no, that can't be it. Lord. <laughs> You know, we, we just try to create an atmosphere. And, and look, this church has always loved young people. Mm-hmm. And we, we invest a lot of our resources into into young into young people. In fact, I've been in, in board meetings where they've said, look, if we're going to spend our money anywhere, that's where we're going first. Oh, wow. Because we're investing in, in our in our young people. In the future. Yeah, in the future. We, you know, we have a, a conference every year where, you know, Indiana Bible College sends a bunch of students and... And, uh, and and comes and, and just it, it just seems like it's just built over the years. It was it was in place before I came, but my my son also went and graduated from IBC, so we've got you know we've got connections there too, and so it was just a natural kind of flow into that. And so we we try to just create an environment where where young people have they have things to do, they they see their place in the kingdom. We've been blessed with a wonderful wonderful youth pastor. Um, that came from came from Indiana Bible College. Jerry Turner married one of our local girls, one of the best you know, Nikki Nikki uh, Hudspeth now Turner, just one of the best girls there was, and, and lived for God all through school, but never wavered, and just just loved the Lord. Yeah. And so now they're leading that that charge too, and it's it's, she, it's amazing. She was definitely one of the best 
the best was uh, Melissa Jackson, <laughs> who, who who never okay, didn't go, go didn't go to Indiana Bible College, but decided to go to ASU in Jonesboro. Indeed, and uh, she has been a blessing to our church. <laughs> For y'all don't know, yeah, Melissa yeah. is Brian's you're, you're wife. Just joined us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are so, podcasting from Melissa's home church. He's, he scored some points right now. Yeah, so I guess so. Yeah. Brother Isaacson, <laughs> I'm about to give you probably the biggest. Um, oh boy! Transition of uh, <laughs> or uh, segue. I'm about to give. I'm probably about to give you one of the biggest segues that I think that I have ever given. So in your ministry, you have been through many transitions. Yes. And a lot of things have have changed. Uh, but there is, in our world, people that are in a different form of transition. Yeah. And there are people that are transitioning from one sex to the other. As a pastor in a real world situation in the 21st century, yeah. when you reach out to shake the hand of the guest yes. and you realize they are not who you initially thought that they were, how should the church respond to this? Because they are coming to your churches. Sure. And, and we are living in a very politically correct world. Right. And in a world in where preaching morality is becoming more and more hostile. So what do you do, not just relationally with the with individuals that come from alternative lifestyles right. and unchurched lifestyles, uh, not just relationally, but from the stance of the pulpit, uh, right. plugging them into ministries in the church uh, to get them involved in, in different things because we know our uh, the superintendent of the UPC has said before if you don't use them you lose them right that the church unemployment rate should be zero yeah. Yeah. so how does the church respond to our generation yeah yeah wow that's a big question um, and, but it is relevant you know and, and I, I think it's the same answer. You know, we try to overcomplicate things. I think it's just as simple as as introducing them to Jesus, just like just like everybody else. Yes, sir. You know, and and you know, look, there's therefore no no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, and and so we are called to unconditionally love, and we should. That doesn't mean we agree with everybody. I can love you and not agree with you. And I can love you and try to lead you in what the Scripture says, because I mean that's that's the whole thing. If if you're if you're coming to a church, obviously, unless you've got some other agenda, you know, you're coming to a place where you know that we're going to declare that the Word of God is sovereign and the Word of God is true. And so, if the Word of God says, "Male and female created He them," right? That's the word. That's that's the word. That's the word. Yeah. You know, um, and so we're we're not trying to condemn anybody. You know, we're just we're just trying to point out what the word says. And so we're we're doing our best to align ourselves to that, to align our you know, and and I, look, I know we're dealing with with sins and with with issues and with situations, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm 57 years old. I'm about to go to my 40th high school reunion, believe mm. it or not. Okay, so I, I haven't been a teenager for, you know, 40, 42 years, right? And so I haven't I, lived 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I can't imagine what they're going, you know, you know, you know how hard it was as, as a transition from a teenager to an adult back then. I mean, can you imagine mm-hmm. with all the other stuff that's being thrown at them that, you know, not not really decisions and not really situations, but making them think that there is, you know. I mean, you, you just have to point it to the scripture. What, what does God say about this? It's not what I say anyway, you know. It's what the Bible says. And if we believe that that's true, and we do, then that's that's got to be our source, man. So, what does it take to make America truly great again? If my people, which are called by my name, mm. will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven? I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Yeah. Brother Eisen, we uh, we want to get close to wrapping it up here. I know it's a Saturday afternoon. You got some things to do. Um, Real quick, give us give us something to read. What are you reading right now? Okay, I'm finishing the book Start by Oh No. You're finishing the finish, book. I'm finishing the book Start. Start. That's kind of confusing. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Um, I'm also reading uh, Which Bible, which which talks about the different translations. Um, in, in an advocate for the uh, three modern versions is another one that's kind of an advocate for the King James version being being uh, the best we've got. Um, and I've, I've got a shelf full of books that I'm that I'm starting. In fact, I just I just finished kind of updating my calendar, trying to be more more uh, proactive and more intentional about my reading time. And uh, so I've 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 been loosely uh, usually have three or four books going at once. One for personal development, one for marriage and family because. You know, number one, I'd like my marriage to be better. I always can be, and then you're always helping people in the church with theirs. Um, and then some for, for deeper Bible study. In fact, um, we're teaching on Wednesday nights. We're going deep and teaching Ephesians. Um, the, I'm using the commentary by Brian Kinsey uh, for the for the study for that, and it's been very good. So that's that's awesome. Right now. One more thing. Yes, sir. Your church has a podcast. Yes. Plug it. Plug it. Okay, it's it's Cornerstone Whitehall, if you look it up, and we we have all of our services there, all of our our, our preaching. Um, So Wednesday night Bible studies there, uh, Sunday mornings there, Sunday night. We've been going back and forth with some of our young ministers, so it's there. Um, and there's also an Axiom Youth podcast. Oh, Lord, help me. Let me, let me pull it up real quick. Pull it up real quick. Yeah, let me, let me pull it up so I can tell you exactly where that's at. Because they, they just started that, and you'll get all the teaching that our youth gets. At their, they have a, a, a full-blown service um, on, uh, on Wednesday nights. While you're looking that up, again, so thank you so much for being on this podcast. Oh, absolutely. Uh, while I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm getting text messages from folks that have just started tuning in to, to the uh, Crucial Conversation podcast that we've already uploaded. And and uh, one of my friends is texting me saying that he, he's weeping through it. So, wow. Uh, That's wonderful. I'm, I'm thankful. I just got to say publicly, I'm thankful that this podcast is touching lives already. Amen. And I know whenever we release this podcast, I, I know this is going to help somebody. It helped awesome. me. And, and, and just sitting through here already, I... I 
I have enough to talk I'm about. Already, I'm already thinking we need to schedule part two. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. All right, so what's that podcast? Right, so it's Cornerstone Apostolic Church, Whitehall, Arkansas. Then the other one is Axiom Youth. Axiom. A-X-I-O-M. And that's that's for and that's for our youth perfect ministry. perfect yeah yeah well actually said I want to uh, your your youth pastor uh, you mentioned just a moment ago brother yes. Jared Turner yes he's the uh, uh, sectional youth president in the section isn't he he is he and, is. and how long has he been associated with this church oh they, he's been here three and a half years probably mm-hmm. he actually came as a summer intern mm-hmm. uh, before he came permanently. And let me just can I say this yeah. publicly about Jared? Yeah. This 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 is the kind of person Jared Turner is. Is that he he already kind of had his eye on Nikki. Mm-hmm. This was before they were married, of course. But he had determined that when he came here for the summer, he was going to focus on ministry, focus on the internship, what he was to do. And the whole summer he was here, they they didn't go out, they didn't date, they wow. didn't, they didn't talk. He wanted to. But he, what he he said, I've committed to Brother Isaac, said I'm not going to be distracted from that. Mm. And so then when he went back, what character? Back to, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that speaks a lot. It does. And so then when he went back to Indiana for a little while, then they started talking and ended up getting married. And so now they're here, and we're, we're so thankful. And he's, for a short, a short time, back. they lived in your home, didn't they? They did. Well, we, we shared. It was a it was a parsonage. We shared it together. We lived we lived upstairs. And uh, sorry, guys. You're fine. You're good. Okay. We we lived upstairs, and there was kind of a whole apartment in the basement. So we we shared a a, a place for a while. So I want to end with one more story, if you have time. Okay. Um, I did while we were waiting uh, to start the podcast. I looked up some t- statistics, and I found out that the top three things that people are most afraid will happen is number one they have to bury their children yeah number two their house burns down yeah or number three they get a divorce yeah you had to deal with one of those issues and it was your house burning down right can you tell us the story of that oh boy That'd have to be part two, probably. Part two. <laughs> give us a give us a preview. I'll, I'll of part give you two. a preview. It's it's a it's a, it's quite a story. Um, I'll just tell you, it, it there's there's not a more feeling of loss, and, and everybody knows that's that's. And, and you know, here's the funny thing is, I've discovered that more people than you know have actually been through that. And as soon as we started kind of talking about it, we'll hear, oh yeah, well my my, my you know my dad went through that, or my you know I had somebody that happened to them, and and uh, it's it's just. You feel so helpless. You're, you know, we stood, and, and I was able to get out. In fact, it started in the garage, and uh, we're, you know, we're not sure what how it started. If it was electrical or whatever, I know that that immediately, almost immediately, the power went out. So we thought it was kind of electrical or whatever. But I was in the back in, in taking a shower and getting cleaned up, and uh, the three three of the grandkids were in the other room in the kitchen. Uh, it was it was Jake and Alyssa and Tyler. And uh, so I'm, I'm still don't have any clothes on. I'm just brushing my teeth. Just got it out of the shower, and Jay comes running in there. They, they come in and said, "Papa, there's smoke coming out of the garage. There's the door from the kitchen deep in the garage." So I go running in there, and uh, just first thing is, is, is I felt the door handle and it wasn't hot, so I went ahead and opened it up, and the garage is just full of smoke, and I'm like, oh. Oh God, you know. So, first thing I did, I said we ran back in. I got my phone. I gave it to Alyssa. I said, "You guys go out the front door. You call nine one one right now." And I had to scoop up some clothes 
and I literally ran back out on the back porch and got dressed outside, you know, just because I had to get out of the house. But by the time I got back to the kitchen, the power was already out and the flames were coming in from the garage on the ceiling. In fact, I had to duck down under the smoke to get out. And uh, so we got out safely and we just stood at the road and watched it burn. Mm. You know, and it's it's just the the a, a great the greatest feeling of loss. You know, it's like okay, here we go. Well, you know, long story short, the Lord allowed. You know, we we basically lost everything or, or thought we did. Was your wife not home at the time? She was not home. Her and, and little Emily uh, Austin was somewhere, and Emily was uh, with her shop. They were in Little Rock, and so I just had to call her and say, "Babe, the house is is on fire. It's burning." And she. Of course, she comes home just as quick as she can, and uh, just you know, they're just helpless, man. Nothing you can do, and uh, so we just we just kind of watched it burn. The fire department came out, but it was way too late. You know, they were just kind of getting it out. And we we pretty much lost everything to either fire or smoke damage. Um, but one thing that the Lord did, and the, of many, like I say, it's it's a whole long story, and and uh, we're very thankful, and and God was with us through that through that time. But I, I will share a couple of things. First of all, he did allow. There was a closet in the middle of the in the middle of the house. Oh, and, and also Jared and Nikki, of course, were living in, in the basement. Well, they were in Indiana. I forget what for. It, it, it was for some kind of deal. And so they had, of course, they had some of their clothes with them. They were packed up, and so they weren't home. Um, uh, and, and of course, they lost their home at the same time we lost ours. Um, but uh, in the in there was a closet in the middle middle of the house. And there were some Rubbermaid tubs with all of our pictures and all of our important documents. And a, a closet door had fallen on top of it. And they, they got the fire out before it got to that closet. And so we actually were able to save. Wow. So we've got two scorched up, you know, um, Rubbermaid tubs of all of our pictures. So we did get to save those. I keep those tubs. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what a sponsorship yeah. for, for, for Rubbermaid. Yeah, for Rubbermaid. I'll be looking for that check in the mail. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but, but through that, and there's, there's a whole, there's a whole long story there. In fact, brother Wayne Huntley in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina had had that happen to him. Right. Um, I remember him telling that story yeah, because of the times. Just in, yeah, just in, in, in October, it just happened. And so we were friends, and Brother Carney was my pastor. And, and, and of course, when they all found out, they were kind of talking about, yeah, did you hear what happened to Zane at his home? So so this was this was like December 16th. Um, no, 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 December 21st, uh, 2016. So four days before Christmas. That's when you lost your house? That's when we lost our house. So I'm talking about Christmas tree, Christmas presents, full, and it just doors. everything, right? So that was on. I believe it was a, if I remember right, it was a Tuesday or a Wednesday, something like that. And so on Saturday, Brother Huntley called me, and he'd heard what had happened, and we kind of he prayed with me, and we cried, you know, prayed over the phone, just just your your emotions are just right there at the edge, you know. And he said, Brother Isaacson, he said, let me tell you something. He said, when this happened to me, of course, I knew it just happened to him four months earlier. He said, the Lord gave me something to uh, that I want to share with you. He said, for people that have been through great loss. He said, I wrote it down in my Bible. Let me go get it. So he grabs his Bible and he reads it. He said, the Lord told me to tell you this. He said, during times of great loss like this, we need three things. Number one, we need peace. We need, we need to know that God's still in charge. And you don't understand why this is happening. The Bible said he'll give us peace that passes understanding. 
And so you, you have to have peace. He said, number two, you need to have patience. You know, you're not going to recover tomorrow. It's going to take a while to get you back on your feet, to get back complete, you know, all of that. So just have patience. Let God work. He said, but the third thing we need is people. And he said, that's the hardest for us because we're ministers, we're servants, we give, you know. It's hard for us to receive. He said, you need to let people bless you. You need to let people help you. Hmm. And brother, that took us through the next seven, eight months, you know, before we actually had found a place to live and, and all of that. Just just wonderful, wonderful advice. And And listen, our church... And the district and the community just responded in just such a marvelous way. And uh, just story after story. One, I'll, I'll tell this. Um, like I said, it was right before Christmas. And uh, so we had all of our Christmas presents bought, wrapped under the tree, gone, right? Just And so we've got five grandkids, and we had all their presents there and all that. Well, of course, we'd already told them. I said, well, guys, you understand. There's there's not going to be any. They're like, oh, we don't, you know, Papa, it's okay. You know, as long as everybody's okay, we're, we're fine. Well, the commun- our community heard about that, and the mayor and the, and the chief of police and the fire chief and some of the aldermen's here. And, uh, and we had done some work in the community with the food pantry and things, so we, we knew some folks and had connected with them. And uh, so they heard about it, and the mayor went to, to all of these businesses and some of the aldermen's and all that. They took up a collection, and they brought, they brought us $1,500. said, we want you to go replace those presents for those grandkids. And so we took the money and we wow. did. And they didn't know it was going to happen. So we, so on Christmas morning, they're just ready for breakfast and yeah. you know, and all that. And so we start bringing these presents out, and they just, wow. they just cried. It was amazing. You know, Brother Isaacson, this has been a true blessing. Um, you got any final words? Well, I, I will say this, and I know you, you said we may end on something, and, and here's what I want to tell you. I started saying something about um, having a full ride scholarship to Columbia. And I want to. Yes. This, yes. This is kind of a continuation of of me knowing beyond a shadow of doubt that God had had His hand on on my life, and that, and God will never supersede your will, but He does use His hand to guide and to, if I could put it this way, to sort of funnel you to where you can have a, an encounter with Him. And uh, I got to thinking about, you know, because some people will say, man, you had a full-ride scholarship to Columbia University, could have had a, you know, you could have had this, this degree and making all this money and, your, or, you know, whatever. And so, but, but here's what I came to understand is that I went to college in 1979. So my first year was 79-80. I quit after that first year. If I would have graduated, then I would have graduated in 1983. Okay. Well, I met my wife in 1981. I got baptized and got the Holy Ghost in 1982 and got in church and the Lord revealed the truth to me and, 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 and set, set us on that path. If I'd have been away at college, who knows? So even though that decision might have been a dumb one to stay home and be a rock star. The steps were ordered. The steps were ordered by the Lord. Wow. And he just funneled me to where I could come in contact with him. So... So to those that, you know, if the Bible said to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. And that's I just, awesome. I just believe that's what God's done. 
All right, guys, we appreciate you guys turn, tuning in. And uh, Brother Isaacson, that was just an awesome, awesome interview. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Be sure that you like, you share, and leave us a review. And thank you for listening to a Crucial Conversation podcast.